This time, we take a look at the techno-god complex blockbuster Avengers Age of Ultron. And along the way, we ask, was this the last true standalone film in the MCU? How could 10 seconds on the internet make you want to destroy the world? And how does Tony Stark make artificial intelligence look so easy? If you put the podcast in an elevator, it'll go still go up on this edition of Force Fed Sci-Fi. <laughs> hey folks, welcome back to another edition of Force Fed Sci-Fi. My name is Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my friend and co-host. I am Chris Rupp. <laughs> All right, I am Chris Rupp. We got a super exciting uh episode today that we're talking about i know you're a really big marvel fan mcu fan and i'm eh. <laughs> so but i i was excited to talk about this film because i really like james spader um so how do you feel are you are you stoked you know i am and uh it's been a minute since we've discussed uh an mcu film and i think when we first started this project we made a very conscious decision to not go overboard with including superhero films in our list. Because if it were, A, it would be chock full of superhero films and B, literally every superhero film in the last 20 some odd years would be in there. So we we made a very conscious decision to only include those films that leaned hard into the sci-fi elements. That's why we've talked about uh, Ant-Man in the past. We've talked about Avengers Endgame. And now we're talking about avengers age of ultron because it's literally about this rampant artificial intelligence that tony stark's created called ultron <laughs> as a means of replacing the avengers and now it just it it realizes that the avengers are what's wrong with the world and tries to kill them and in by doing so try to eradicate the humanity humanity because it thinks oh if there's no humanity then there's no need for the avengers and everything will be fine <laughs> right it's the typical uh daddy made me now i want to kill daddy complex right i'm right. mad at daddy uh. Yeah, Daddy did not treat me well within the first <laughs> 10 minutes of my existence. Therefore, I'm going to try to kill him and all of his friends. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a, that was a nice... Uh, I liked how you snuck the synopsis in there, man. That was pretty sleek. <laughs> Very solid. All right. So Avengers Age of Ultron. This one is directed following the success of Avengers. It is directed by Joss Whedon, the Whedon man. Yeah, he also wrote this film and he's one of those filmmakers where he, it's it's impossible to get him to sign on if he's not writing a film as well. And after the first Avengers film made billions and billions of dollars, Marvel and Kevin Feige looked at him and said, we need you back for the sequel, like now. <laughs> you can do good things for our franchise. And they got him. <laughs> Kevin Feige. Yeah, you were right. Kevin Feige produces. It's crazy, though, when directors write and direct. I think that that takes, well, I think it's a lot of guts to be able to be able to direct someone else's material. Because I know sometimes writers can be pretty egotistical, you know? So if you go off course, they may poo-poo you a little bit. 
Well, that's so, why so it, often studios or directors will hire script doctors, give them a one-time fee and say, just make it how I want to make it. That's that's how it, that goes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. And uh, this film, obviously, it's based on the Avengers, which was written by the late, great Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah, they created the characters for Marvel Comics, obviously. And this was... Uh, this was this was probably the time where everybody I think had really latched on to the MCU as the, the blockbusters that would come out every year. They were guaranteed to make a mm-hmm. billion dollars and make everybody rich and everybody for the most part returns for the sequel. We get Robert Downey Jr., we've got Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner. And then we kind of get we have some of the other, you know, bit players in the Avengers, Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, Samuel Jackson. Um, those guys return. But then we also get some newcomers. We get Paul Bettany taking on a bigger role as um, Vision. Uh, previously, mm-hmm. he was Jarvis. And then we also get in his only appearance, unfortunately, so far in the MCU, we have James Spader as Ultron. Mm-hmm. Who is great. Oh, yeah, he is fantastic in this film and just has one of those evil hypnotic voices that just sucks you in. <laughs> oh, well, I love James Spader. He, like I said, it's one of my favorite. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this, because I'm a big fan of Blacklist. I love season eight of The Office when he plays Robert California. And then I just saw Pretty in Pink with him in it from like the eighties. So I, I love James Spader. I think he's fantastic. So I, I definitely agree with you there, man. Yeah. And then we, the two big newcomers, I think would have to be Elizabeth Olsen who plays Wanda Maximoff and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who plays Pietro Maximoff. And it's, there was a lot of wrangling that this uh, Disney slash Marvel had to do because Fans of the comics will recognize that they're mutants. And at this point, at this point in history, Disney does not own 20th Century Fox. So they technically do not have the right to say mutant on screen. You notice they always call them enhanced. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was I got to say, when I first saw Quicksilver, I was like kind of confused because I because I think X-Men Days of Future Past came out in 14 and we saw Quicksilver there. So I was like, why couldn't we get, you know, it was just like a little weird to me to have him in the film. But I guess we could talk about that now or we could talk about that later. (laughs) I mean, I think this is a good point to talk about it. It's uh, they I mean, these two actors, they they had broken through recently. They both starred together in Godzilla, which came out the year before. And Mm -hmm. there was just yeah, it was. Also complex. I mean, the in Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, they were one of a few properties that Disney shared the rights with 20th Century Fox. And because Marvel was broke in the early 90s, they sold off individual properties to individual studios. That's why Sony owns Spider-Man and its associated characters. It's why 20th Century Fox owns X-Men, Mutants, and the Fantastic Four, and why... You know, Disney at the time only owned a small portion. Also, Universal owned uh, the Incredible Hulk. So, and then now, ah, Di- yeah. 
now Disney's just working to bring it all together. They now own 20th Century Fox, so now there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not we're going to see mutants in the future, but that's that's up to people who make probably hundreds of millions of dollars every year. That's up to them to figure out. I <laughs> That's all kind of like legal wrangling and nerd wrangling that I just don't have the energy to try and figure out. Yeah, I I don't know. I know they made that movie New Mutants or something like last year during COVID times it came out or something. And I know it didn't, it bombed. Like it didn't really get that great of reviews and people didn't really know what the hell was going on with that. It was like kind of like one of those horror-esque, but superhero, you know, kind of like how that, what was that freaking film that we saw where it was like Superman as a kid? Oh yeah, Brightburn. Yeah, it was like one of those. And I know it didn't really go too well. So, I mean, maybe. That was like Disney trying to like figure it out if people want mutants. I'm sure they could do X-Men or X-People knowing 2022, but who knows? They're going to figure it out at some point. And it's, I mean, I mean, I can only imagine that this created some sort of headache for Joss Whedon. He's probably just, he was probably just oh, looking yeah. at Kevin Feige like, just let me call the mutants. Just let me call the mutants. Yeah. Well, I know like that was with, yeah, Joss Whedon, he talked about all that stuff like, he wanted to introduce uh, Captain Marvel and then Spider-Man in this movie, too. But because they didn't have the rights, they wouldn't let him. I didn't yeah, know if and, you knew that. Yeah, I he, from what I read, he wanted to introduce Captain Marvel, but they, I think Feige talked him down from that ledge and said it's way too early to be introducing her, and there has to be some sort of you know, threat that's on her level that she can contend with. That's why she shows up when she does and why she's the deus ex machina in Avengers Endgame. So there's a reason <laughs> why they held, you know, held the phone on introducing Captain Marvel. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately the way those characters were introduced to the series, it worked out for their benefit. You know, having Spider-Man show up in Civil War was perfect. It was the right time. I think Ultron was already stuffed with so many random characters that having those two, it just wouldn't make sense. It would be way too bloated because we get Ultron, we get Vision, we get Quicksilver, we get the Scarlet Witch. I mean, plus we're learning about like Hawkeye's family. I mean, there's so much character development, even into like everyone, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow. I mean, it's just... I don't think there would have been enough room. The movie would have had to been so much longer, which I did read that the initial cut of this film was like three and a half hours. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how willing I would be to watch a a, a two hundred and ten <laughs> minute cut of Age of Ultron, but I mean, <laughs> unless it was really, really good stuff. I mean, I think this movie is long enough as it is. I mean, and you're right. I mean, by all accounts, Ultron follows. The gen the generally followed sequel rules of Hollywood. You expand the universe, you make the sequel a bit darker. And mm -hmm. I think the the common pitfall among superhero films anyway is to try to make it slightly darker and also introducing so many characters that your film becomes bloated. Yeah. And it, that's, I think, what kind of like one of the downfalls of this film is because Quicksilver, I mean, it brought some weight to, like, the Scarlet Witch, you know, I guess, with their, like, country and everything, like, you know, their apartment getting blown up and why they're working with Ultron and all that. But, 
I mean, his character to me wasn't really that much memorable. And I think he ended up just being like a meme anyways. Like we do, you just remember him nowadays as just like the guy that shows up and dies. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, this Quicksilver's death just seemed to kind of just get Scarlet Witch down on this long path of trauma that she sustained in this world. And, and we'll certainly talk about where her arc has gone throughout the course of the MCU later on. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, but I kind of get why they killed Quicksilver. I don't, I don't think they wanted to continue on this no. wrangling of calling them, calling them mute, calling them enhanced when we all know they're mutants. So it's, it's just, I think it's just this whole mental gymnastics that they wanted people to avoid and just keep the film as simple as possible. Oh, definitely. And I think, like, Scarlet Witch, she, like, set up she, her, like, the dream sequences. I think they were utilized to, like, kind of set up not only the motivations, obviously, for Ultron, for Tony Stark to create Ultron, but to push forth, like, the other movies and everything in the future with, like, Thor and what would be Black Widow's backstory and so forth. So part of me feels like she was kind of used as a vessel to push forth the new movies that are you know the little easter eggs but also to enhance the story it was kind of a double whammy i mean well this could also be a good opportunity to discuss i mean you brought it up meant uh, how this sets up further films i mean do you looking back now how far we are in the mcu do you do you maybe consider this one of the last standalone films that exist in the overall arc of the marvel cinematic universe i would say so I think so. It is. It's, uh, I mean, it's like, I think it's the last of its kind, essentially, where MCU tried to get a little bit deeper and darker with, like, the villain Ultron coming to terms, being born, and then literally hating the world after spending, what, 10 seconds on the internet, wanting to eradicate humans. I mean, that's kind of deep stuff. AI... And it's just like all that. I mean, it's putting forth like Black Widow, like ended up getting like her woman parts taken out, murdered a lot of people. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on in this film. And I think afterwards, the films following this, none kind of encompassed that darkness that Joss Whedon tried to shoehorn into this. And it kind of set the tone for like the newer films. Like, I don't think you'll see another one in the MCU like this, or maybe they maybe they will, but I just don't think so. It's kind of the last of its kind. Most films after this, they kind of took the elements of the happy go lucky quips and keep it moving, keep it moving type pace, you know? Yeah. That, this one is definitely built off of what the events of the first Avengers film, as opposed to the films that happened in between the first one oh, and yeah. age of Ultron. Whereas if you go to the next Avengers film, infinity war, if you haven't seen Civil War or Doctor Strange or anything else that might have come out in between uh, Age of Ultron and Infinity War, you may not know exactly what's going on or why Captain America shows up with Daddy Beard and why there's a, why Tony Stark is hanging out with wizards on you know on Bleecker <laughs> Street. Definitely, and it's but it's weird though at this film because it's like it starts off confusing 
because they start off like in a battle in some country and the um this Loki staff they're like trying to get it from Hydra and if you remember the Avengers they had the staff so to me like the beginning kind of threw me where it kind of tried to tie itself into the other stuff but not really um I I know I've heard that you have to watch like Agents of Shield or something to get why the Avengers was in like Slovakia or whatever the hell the country is but outside of like that rough start for me the film basically you can jump into and kind of figure out who the characters are they reestablish them in the beginning this character does this this character you know it's not it is definitely I would say the last standalone where it's not too confusing but I think with it being a standalone that is where it falls because of the plot holes because it like disregards Tony Stark Iron Man 3 you know like getting rid of all the suits and retiring and then Loki like the staff it's like wait what the hell why is the staff taken yeah I mean the 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 question regarding the scepter I mean that's not solved until Avengers Endgame but still I mean we have to wait four additional years to find out exactly how that yeah. wound up in Hydra's fan in Hydra's hands but I think Age of Ultron exists in this interesting crossroads in the MCU because it sets up so many future films or future conflicts in that we see later we see Tony and Steve go at each other in Civil War um, the destruction of Asgard is uh, foretold in Ragnarok and then obviously just sets up all these events in Infinity War and Endgame and even the uh, Avengers Endgame title itself is referenced in this film when Tony Stark he, he has he's trying to defend why he created Ultron and he you know says up there that's the end game like he knows what's coming granted it's his own worst fears being realized in later films mm-hmm. but I mean everything that is foretold in this film eventually comes to pass yeah it it did serve as a great yeah like in hindsight if you look at Age of Ultron it does set the precursor for everything I don't know if that was intentional, but it did. It did serve as a nice springboard for all that. Well, if you create a franchise like this, like the MCU, your your main your team up films have to serve as your tent pole films. Like there's you know, the 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 first films of the MCU, they all point to the Avengers and the films in between the first film and Age of Ultron point to there, and then so on and so forth later on down the series. I mean I mean, with Endgame being released, I mean, who knows what will be what will be next now that the Avengers are effectively over? Could we see a new group of Avengers? Sure, but we still need to see the stories that happen in between Endgame and mm-hmm. whenever the next film is to make sense of everything. And I think we will with the new Thor and everything. All right, it's I'm sure it will be they'll start something new, but I don't know if they can ever effectively go back and recreate, you know, this group that took so long to make. I mean, maybe depends on how long these guys want to work for Marvel. (laughs) I think they want to work for Marvel for a long time. I mean, everybody wants a bit of that Disney money. Oh yeah. I heard that. uh, Who did I see? Someone recently jumped on it. Christian Bale. Yeah. He's in the new Thor movie, right? Yeah, well, I mean, he's following that traditional, that path. You know, you you make a film 
for yourself and then you do one for the studio and why not i mean if it'll give him a good chance to flex his villain muscles and then say like all right i got my disney money i'm good for a couple of years and then peace yeah. out why not <laughs> this is retirement for me <laughs> this is for my kids college and their retirement <laughs> that's true i would take that too Maybe Bale's just tired of playing a hero. I mean, I, I can't. I mean, the, I think the last film where I saw him flex some villain muscles was maybe American Psycho. But then in that film, he was literally killing homeless people on the streets. So <laughs> you are you are correct. That is probably the last <laughs> one with him. Although speaking of villains, though, yeah. I think you mentioned your love of James Spader, and I think and I think he plays an absolutely fantastic villain in Ultron and. Ultron is this artificial intelligence who obviously that was created by Tony Stark and his mission is now to destroy the Avengers and the world. And obviously we've we've talked about sort of this integration of or I guess we've talked about more nightmare scenarios of what could happen in regards of artificial intelligence. But it kind of got me thinking while watching this. I mean, what sort of applications that the military has for using artificial intelligence and how that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I read a, a very interesting article on technologyreview.com. It's kind of detailing how the Pentagon and the Department of Defense is working to integrate like a fully functioning AI into the military. And they are allocating a crap ton of money into doing this. They're allocating something like 925 million dollars of its budget towards the development of this artificial intelligence to kind of maybe not take all of the decision making out of human hands but just provide enough information to make well-informed tactical decisions yeah well if you can do it without human error or without human feelings i mean that's kind of isn't that what you would rather have it's kind of like the what is that scene from robocop where the machine does it better than the man because it's just so pinpoint accurate you know it doesn't have to deal with all the emotions and the endorphins that flood the body i know but i still think there's value of having soldiers on the ground or eyes on the situation because when you're when you're far away from the field of battle i mean yes i mean it may seem easy to make those decisions because you're detached from the situation you can't oh, but if but if you're not there in the battle you can't you can't analyze like enemy strength you don't mm-hmm. have an actual view of what's going on where somebody on the ground would mm-hmm. i mean and, yes. and this is why you see so many snafus and you know i i mean honestly i can't remember the last time i heard good news coming out of any sort of these forever wars that we've been involved in it's all <laughs> it's all been you know a helicopter crashed into a mountain or five soldiers were killed or something it's it's because mm-hmm. it's like, you have these decisions that are made by people who are so far removed from battle that it directly affects people and it, and it gets people killed sometimes i agree we also have though on a lighter side though they are developing technology for uh People on the ground like robot legs, essentially, these soldiers are able to like step into these legs and it gives them the ability to like jump high, run fast, or if they're shot, the legs can like turn around and run back to base, you know, with the body. So you don't have to worry like 
if someone dies, you know, I mean, as horrible as that is, you know, seeing it's like the cowboy riding back slumped over on the horse, but these legs also are great because it's just so the amount of power, it's like superhuman almost. Yeah. So kind of like, um, like an exosuit that could be used in battle, like Iron Man. Definitely. Definitely. That's what they're trying. I mean, they're looking at private contractors (laughs) that are making it for the military. So who knows, man? Maybe in the next 10 years, we will have more like superhuman stuff on there. Artificial intel. I mean, but with any sort of technology, though, I mean, it can be manipulated for nefarious purposes. And I think that there's there's this growing concern. And I think I think we've seen it in, you know, there's. You know, if you watch CNN or whatever every other week, you hear about Russia or China or some type of hacker that tries to get into something that they shouldn't be getting into, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it never ends. I mean, there was a hacker recently in Florida that um, got into a water treatment plant and tried to put in a poison and kill people. (laughs) What a See, (laughs) that's what I mean. It's just so stupid. That's the problem (laughs) with people. And with technology, it can be accessed and hacked. So yeah, we have these great technological marvels you know, that that can literally change the world, and yet we have some douche canoe somewhere who hacks into a water treatment plant and tries to kill people with a click of a button. It's like what? No, well, that's wrong with you. Well, that's the problem, as you brought up with the insidiousness of the internet. The internet, which caused what? Ultron to basically say, what is this? I'm going to eradicate the human race in the Avengers after like 15 seconds because humans sometimes, you know, we're just kind of, we're everything. We're good and bad. (laughs) We're like what what Vision said, you know. I don't even know if it was a full 20 seconds because he's turned on and he, he does this Google search or this massive database search of just the awfulness of human beings. It's like, why don't you look up like you know, happy things, because we've created some cool things, too. Like, it's not all just war. I mean, we've created, you know, these great flying machines. We've our, our advances in technology are unparalleled. Like, why don't you look up the, the cool stuff about humanity, not just the things we made <laughs> to kill each other with? <laughs> Probably because it's always manipulated, Chris. Probably Ultron was like, "Man, these people have such potential, but they ultimately fall." fall so, I just think like if I just think if he looked up like a video of Tony Hawk skateboarding or something or pulling off a fifteen forty <laughs> or whatever, I feel like he would be a bit more excited about the world and not try to turn a giant city into a meteor <laughs> to destroy everything. <laughs> Even cat videos. Come on, Ultron. What the heck? Well, yeah, well, like, how do you, what do you have again? Like, look up baby cats or something. Like, you know, can I has cheeseburger? Like, come on. Like, your heart, <laughs> whatever artificial heart you have has got to, like, you know, have feelings for that. I mean, who doesn't love a, a cute little kitten asking for a cheeseburger? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, I know. That's, that, I think, though, that is what, is difficult about Ultron as a villain because I think someone told me that the reason why they didn't like Ultron was he's not a very memorable villain. And I think it's because the reality of who he is as an AI, it's just not something grandiose, you know, 
it's but also I would say it didn't take the backstory that we got with Loki in the first film because we had the first Thor film to get that backstory to kind of relate to Loki in a way as being the picked on guy. Whereas with Ultron, we just, you know, we saw him for 10 seconds and then he's like, oh, screw you humans. So I think, you know, it just his motivations were just kind of been there, done that. Well, I mean, we're also still getting more of Loki. I mean, we're getting on 10 years after the character was first introduced in the MCU, and we're still getting films and now Disney Plus series that he's going to be in, appearing in. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was a tad disappointed given the the nature of Ultron, how he can escape electronically or through the internet or just yeah. through whatever, that we only did get him in one film. And, I mean, that is a major difference between the comics and the films is that the villains are only around for one film if you're lucky and ultron is a persistent villain i mean in the comics i mean he goes Mm -hmm. after the avengers and then goes after the west coast avengers and attacks heroes individually so ultron could have been around for a while but they chose to you know to have vision you know mind stone beam him to death i know i think i just think it's because of the concept that joss whedon was attacking it's just too grandiose, and I think it's just too abstract and nefarious for a guy that, to stick around. Like, with Loki, he's tied to Thor. So, you get that. He can stick around, and, and Thor still has that love. But, unfortunately, because Ultron didn't have that, like, bond with Tony Stark at all, that's kind of why I think his character just kind of fell flat and it does stink because he, he was around so much more in the comics. And I think to me with Ultron, it would have been much better if Tony Stark had more dialogue with him because that he was the creator of him. I mean, having the end point with him and vision and vision ultimately defeating him was good because they had that great little talk with those great quotes at the end of the film. But I just feel his character was just so as a villain kind of misused, you know, there was just so much more we could have learned and he could have been used so much more appropriately. Well, I think it was necessary to have Ultron only be in this one film. I mean, because it Yeah. He was really he was born out of Tony Stark being manipulated and his fears of the world being destroyed and his friends being killed, which l- led to Ultron's creation. So I think Ultron being destroyed is a way of Tony's fears being let go. I mean, there's still, I mean, that that fear is initially let go, but the the worry, I guess, is still there, because that is manifested in later films. It's just, it's just so frustrating that we get we can get Loki in like six or seven MCU <laughs> films, but we get a great villain like Killmonger or Ultron. I know. In only one film each. And that's that's the frustrating part of watching these films sometimes. I know. And I particularly enjoy Aldron more than Loki because Loki's kind of like a parody of himself now. So <laughs> maybe he'll come back. I heard that they were maybe going to bring him back for WandaVision. But who knows? Yeah, Loki's getting his own show on Disney Plus. So he's all good. <laughs> yeah, he is. Definitely. Definitely. Did you uh, hear anything about, so I don't know if we talked about this, but I was, I found some research on Marvel kind of like impacting Joss Whedon's creation. Now I know Joss Whedon's like, especially recently, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out 
about his directing style and how he's kind of a toxic director, which Ray Fisher can totally, <laughs> he can, he, you know, he, he put out stuff in his career, tried to get killed because of that. But I heard though, with Joss Whedon in this film, it kind of was like the end for him in the Marvel universe. Um, I know he said like, Working with Marvel was just a headache on this film. They were all up in his business about like wanting to push forth the agenda of the films, but he wanted to make it more focused on the humanist part, like the farm and the dream sequence. And they were like saying, you have to have the cave scene or else you're done. We're pulling the farm. So I know Josh Whedon said in a couple of interviews, this was kind of just like it for him just because of like the bureaucratic the political nonsense and not being able to really have that creative control. Plus, I guess MCU, you know, it's like a twenty-four hour job. Man, I don't, I don't know how much um, credence I put into Marvel being difficult to work with because future directors after after him, like the Russo brothers, I think they've done something like mm-hmm. four or five uh, films in the MCU. They have no complaints about working with Kevin Feige and Mar- and Marvel. Ryan Coogler, director of Black Panther, no issues about working with. Feige and Marvel so I think this is just Joss Whedon being a bit too big for his britches (laughs) saying like hey you know I wrote Toy Story I created Firefly I did Buffy the Vampire Slayer I did all these things like I deserve respect because I'm Joss Whedon and when whenever you walk into a room and say your name and expect people to know who you are (laughs) and expect instant respect for the for like to be admonished onto you like that rarely works out in anybody's favor and i think he just wanted it sounds like he wanted more credit than what he was owed i mean and certainly his contributions to the mcu like cannot be ignored mm-hmm. but i think he he just he just his comments and his desire to leave the mcu just seem a bit arrogant to me because he could have had a very cushy gig maybe not directing films but he could have been writing some of these films in the MCU and could have gotten much more money and, you know, a lot of sway and influence in terms of how these films went. And he chose not to do that. No. Well, I think, I don't know. He just seems like as a director, a guy with a lot of ideas, some good and some bad, because I heard that he wanted to like put visions like penis in a lot of this film and they like he's like he like demanded the artists to like draw pictures of him and then once they he saw the pictures everyone was like i don't think this is a good idea mr whedon and they saw the pictures and they was like oh you're all right so i think maybe it's just he had so many ideas and maybe it's like the typical artist ego thing you know like you're saying it's a kid's movie you cannot put a penis in a kid's movie that's not gonna happen (laughs) and i and you talked about that three and a half hour cut. If that three and a half hour cut just has like a whole bunch of minutes about Vision's penis, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> right? But I do say, though, I mean, I don't know. It's tough. This film is just like so up and down. Like when we talk about, I know what threw me on this film was Hulk and uh, Black Widow. Like their relationship to me just seemed like a little forced. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's. It didn't make sense. Look, I get why Bruce doesn't want to have a relationship with Black Widow because he can't get, you know, excited like that. But then it's not like the relationship doesn't have to be all about sex. Like it could just be an intimate 
relationship of getting to know her and being one with each other. Like, who said anything about sex? And that's just, I guess, just just where the male mind goes. Like, I can't do this. He even says, like, I can't do this. Like, I can't have kids. Like, no one's asking you to. Maybe she just wants to be in a relationship with you, you know, and know you intimately, not be intimate with you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This film, it did have some unsavory jokes about all that stuff at least for me that felt like movie theater jokes they weren't unsavory to me i just think that this film and whedon's writing just kind of got so far into the weeds at times mm-hmm. with character development and like these really really deep cut kind of jokes and references it's like dude what kind of film are you trying to write here yeah yeah well, that is the question to ask because it feels just so up and down with some beats where like really light and then some are just so deep and you just you just go up and down to like this ending where like this giant part of the city is being lifted up and it doesn't I just don't feel the tension because it's like half jokes throughout the time and then there's this evil robot man. I mean, it was just so up and down where you, it was hard for me to like put my thumb on the tone like how I'm supposed to feel throughout. I mean, I will say that Age of Ultron does have some pretty intense and great action pieces in it, probably some of the best in the MCU overall. But I think the film lacks a lot of spectacle that we saw in the first Avengers film and then in subsequent MCU films. So a lot of the the luster is just kind of lost at times. I mean... Mm -hmm. The opening battle at the beginning of the film is great. The 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 battle in Africa where Scarlet Witch manipulates everybody and you know watching Iron Man in the Hulkbuster armor and the Hulk duke it out was <laughs> that's still one of the best action scenes I think in the MCU that has to be up there. Definitely. Definitely. They put the city buildings to shame, man. Man of Steel style. <laughs> man i just i remember seeing this in theaters and i remember that fight when he drops the elevator on hulk and then comes in with a haymaker and he spits his tooth out and you just see tony looking at him going i'm sorry <laughs> i love that so much uh well that's good that's good i liked personally my favorite joke uh was the <laughs> was when vision tells Thor he's like that hammer is so horribly well balanced and he's like yeah you know too much weight would take some power off the swing for some reason that just got me I was like that is so witty that is so brilliant just love it man but yeah there's some moments like that that are fantastic but then they just but there's not enough of them to kind of like buoy the film in terms of kind of balancing out the emotional resonance because it's I mean, yes, it does follow the traditional sequel rule of being dark, but mm-hmm. you also need to add some levity to that. This can't all be like Empire Strikes Back or Godfather yeah. 2. Like, there's got to be more levity in there. And like, and I think a lot of it has, revolves around Thor and his hammer because there's that earlier scene in the film at the party where they're all trying to lift up the hammer and you see Captain America briefly do it. And Thor have this oh crap moment <laughs> flash across <laughs> his face was just brilliant. <laughs> yes, it was a good uh, pre- setup for later. 
which if you wanted to hear us talk about Thor's hammer and Captain America, check out our episode on Endgame. We talked about it for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about one of the biggest payoffs that has ever existed in any franchise. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so how about I think now is the time where we get to unpack our favorite part of the of the podcast, which is lens flares and pet ants. <laughs> so, Chris, <laughs> what was your lens flare for this movie? Uh, you know, at the at the very end of the film, you know, the the Avengers theme is starting to swell up. You know, Captain America and Black Widow, they're coming out to see the new crop of Avengers. You know, Thor has gone off to to the heavens to look for the infinity stones iron man's driving away his return is questionable and cap is about to yell avengers assemble but the film cuts to black (laughs) just as he's about to yell assemble and i think everybody was waiting for that and again i remember being in the theater and people just going, what? He didn't say assemble because it was it was like that hard cut to black that was in the Soprano series finale. It's like, what the heck is this? And then we have to wait four years later to get Avengers assemble in Endgame. But he just goes, assemble. <laughs> <laughs> I know the stupid dramatic whisper. It didn't make sense to me when I saw that. Because nobody heard that. Nobody heard that. Nobody would have started running in the battle unless Black Panther had it yelled, got his armor on, and was going to go whoop some ass. Nobody would have. <laughs> that's, I, how that, that's how that ends. <laughs> you know what would have been funny is if, like, the rest of the movies from here up until Endgame, like, he, it just would always cut to black whenever he's like, Avengers, uh, and then it cut. That would be funny as hell. Okay, that would just be insulting people if they did it in every <laughs> film. <laughs> would oh god i uh, uh how about you did you have a lens flare i do i do have a lens flare so mine's like a two-parter mine's like uh i wrote i was pretty mad i said the dialogue in this movie is a menace <laughs> the jokes were meant for movie theater audience which i did feel a lot especially at the beginning with that battle it was just so much of those jokes were for a movie theater audience when he's like language i'm like come on man don't you you can't be that bored of defeating hydra to make quips and then uh the big one for me was at the end actually where they face ultron at the core um i felt that it was a cgi nightmare with all the robots just attacking like the eight avengers it was just too quick too quick cuts too fast and to me, they had to slow it down to make it look believable with this with the uh, superheroes because it just didn't make sense to me logistically and uh, every way. It didn't make sense to me. It looked bad. It just looked really bad to me. I mean, it was cool seeing them slow it down and stuff and punching things, but it just didn't look real. So that bothered me. I don't know why. It just really bothered me. So those are my two lens flares. Oh uh, well, did you happen to find anything? on the internet that bothered anybody in this week in toxic fandom. So this week in toxic fandom, I did hear, I did see a couple things. So one, which was kind of funny or or, I don't know. It was just like kind of stupid. (laughs) So it said, uh, this is about the cuttlefish. So 
When confronted by the twins, Ulysses Claw says that he is afraid of cuttlefish. Deep sea fish, they make lights, disco lights, to hypnotize their prey. And this pet ant said, although cuttlefish do go to the depths of 2,000 feet, they stay mostly in shallow water where they hunt crabs and fish using camouflage to sneak up on their prey before paralyzing them with venom. So... I guess someone got really mad that they <laughs> said cuttlefish are deep sea fish. Oh my god. It's kind of there's cuttlefish pit ants out there. So so some marine biologist was watching Age of Ultron and heard cuttlefish from Andy Circus and he was just like, Well, that's not right. <laughs> I need to tell the world about cuttlefish, because they are a group that <laughs> do not get the right flack. From the media, they they are they aren't always in the deep sea. Okay, so kudos to you. Pet <laughs> the ant. world needs to know, <laughs> cuttlefish. Oh man, <laughs> how about you, Chris? Uh, how about you, man? You know, you know, you made reference to this earlier, and <laughs> I had to laugh at this one because it's just it's so ridiculous. Um, at the end of Iron Man 3, Tony Stark had retired from being Iron Man, even going as far as destroying all of his armors. Yet here he is, back in the suit, and all his armors are back too. No explanation given. His retirement is not even mentioned at all. That arc gets completely disregarded. Furthermore, the character behaves as if he had never retired from his superhero heroics in the first place. As such, all of Tony Stark's character development from Iron Man 3 is ignored oh, oh, oh. oh snap <laughs> okay the problem i have with this is that the, a this this argument is is just grammatically wrong and <laughs> and also that this issue is answered in captain america civil war because tony stark and pepper Potts split up prior to civil war and Tony mentions that he wanted to stop, but realized he couldn't stop and said he didn't want to stop. Mm -hmm. So that answer is that like, yes, in theory, he destroyed all of his, his suits of armor, but he still is Iron Man. He's still fighting crime. And at the end of Iron Man three, he didn't really retire. He just got, he just destroyed his suits, built new ones and got the piece of metal out of his heart. That's all that happened. And at the end of <laughs> Iron Man three, there is no mention about him retiring. None. No. So I don't know where this person got this whole insinuation. <laughs> I guess maybe they thought he was retiring with the thing, like destroying it. I think it was just like a movie release thing, you know? It, it's just like the writers threw in that line of him retiring, and then at the end, they were like, crap. <laughs> we still need him for other movies. But it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I, I don't think it was that huge. No, that didn't bother me at all. I mean, because, I mean, for lack of, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was in so many of the films, and he was going to be back for an Avengers film. He wasn't going to retire no. just because somebody thought he did at the end of Iron Man 3. That's not how that works. And why would he use Iron Man 3 as, like, the retirement film? Like, it's a good movie, but that's the send-off, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, people are weird. I agree. I don't think anyone <laughs> died in this movie, right? 
You know, uh, I didn't find that either, but I wanted to acknowledge a yellow shirt All right. this time around. You know, there's, there's really only one major character to me that kind of sticks out in Age of Ultron, and I have to acknowledge Wanda Maximoff slash Scarlet Witch and her contributions to the film, because she starts off as a villain, you know, sees what Ultron is planning to do, comes over to the Avengers, and after seeing Elizabeth Olsen play the character so well in future films in the MCU, as well as uh, WandaVision, which as of right now, I think has um, four, five episodes out now at the time mm-hmm. we're recording this. Uh, I now firmly believe that her talents have been wasted in the MCU and she deserves more screen time in future projects. And not to mention the fact she's also probably one of, if not the most powerful Avenger in, in the whole group and has the, the it has the potential to totally change the landscape of the MCU, and I hope that that's something that they explore in future films. Huh. Well, I think that's probably why she never was really explored. I agree with you. I felt like her and Vision had the most interesting elements to them, and especially the later films. But I think that was the problem with them: is Vision was so strong, so was Scarlet Witch. Same thing with Captain Marvel that they had like that Superman complex where they were just too good. Unfortunately, that if they stuck around in battles and people would be like, well, why didn't Vision just come and blow him up? Why didn't she just mess with his mind? You know what I'm saying? So it's it's unfortunate because it's like Catch-22 for those characters. Right. I mean, you, you want your heroes to still be vulnerable. You don't want them to just show up and <laughs> vaporize everybody with just a flick of their, just snapping their fingers or whatever. Then we wouldn't have a movie, Chris. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's how that works all right so what did people think of this movie what did they think well i'll tell you it did gross a lot of money age of ultron i think it grossed 1.4 billion dollars oh yeah it grossed a hell of a lot of money and it's also <laughs> well it was budgeted at 365 million dollars which is still it's the second most expensive film ever made, and it's still the most expensive in the MCU. Oh I mean, g- considering that every single film has like a two hundred fifty million dollar budget, and you manage <laughs> to spend three hundred and sixty-five, that's really doing something. That's insane. But this was also this came out in twenty fifteen, and by all accounts, that was a completely stacked year of blockbusters because The Force Awakens came out. In 2015, so did Jurassic World and uh, the seventh Fast and Furious film, which um, I won't watch for obvious reasons. That's a car porn film. (laughs) Um, But compared to the first Avengers film in Age of Ultron, this one's a bit of a letdown. I mean, there's it's only has a 76 percent on Rotten Tomatoes and it has a 66 on Metacritic and. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember so many people poo-pooing this film after it came out and for years afterwards. They just thought it was like one of the worst Avengers films. Yeah, I heard that a lot. I saw it a lot online too. And I think in hindsight, we're more receptive to it. I think it was just more of a disappointment, you know? Yeah, and... and- I get people's disappointment, but I also don't think that that's a reason 
to call this, you know, the one of the worst films in the MCU. Now, I agree. Thor The Dark World, now Thor The Dark World <laughs> and The Incredible Hulk, yes, you can call those one of the worst films in the MCU because they actually are. Age of Ultron is not. No. No, it is not by the stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and, and obviously more films have come out in the MCU and we've talked about some of those here today and like Sean said check out our previous episode on that and I mean we'll get to more in and we'll get to more MCU films you know as we deem them uh, worthy of being in the list but I still think that this holds up as one of the one of the standalone films and then one of the more kind of interconnected films in terms of the overall arc right on man so so with all of that in mind let's rate age of ultron shall we all right so on our unique scale on the force-fed sci-fi podcast of wouldn't watch would watch would own and would host a viewing party what do you give to avengers age of ultron sean age of ultron so on upon reviewing this film, because I couldn't remember when I saw it in 2015, I felt that, you know, with the things that I said prior in this review with the quips were a little heavy handed to me, the jokes, the tone of the film kind of being up and down with really great moments of character development, but then being like thrust into jokes and just like a rush plot and underdevelopment characters plus too many characters, I would put this as a uh, a would watch. I think I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's a wouldn't watch. I don't think it's a terrible movie. But for me, I, I wouldn't, I would recommend it, definitely, for people that are comic book fans of Marvel that enjoy getting the whole scoop of the whole exper- experience, especially for the nine years between Iron Man and Endgame. But for me personally, as a uh, film fan, I would say I am a little disappointed in the concepts that they covered. I felt that they couldn't go that they didn't go deep enough or it was a little rushed. But once again, it is a superhero movie for kids, so it's not meant to break any grounds, you know. So with that, I would put it as a would watch. It's enjoyable if you have a group of people and I'm sure then the jokes would be a little bit more funny. How about you, Chris? Well, I think this is definitely one of the more darker films in the MCU. And, I mean, I always love a good dark superhero film. I mean, I think the, the, the Christopher Nolan Batman films kind of are right in my wheelhouse. And so is Age of Ultron. Um, I mean, there's there are definitely some moments in the film that do shine. There's some funny quotes. But then it just a lot of it gets bogged down by the complex screenwriting and I've talked about it before. If you have to do mental gymnastics as you're watching a film, you're probably not going to enjoy <laughs> it overall. And but then there's these great action pieces that help you kind of like move past that. It's like, oh, I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened with Scarlet Witch's Captain America hallucination. Oh wait, Iron Man's fighting Hulk now. I have to pay attention to this. So it kind of it's it. The film itself works as a good distraction from its shortcomings and. Personally, I could have used a lot more of James Spader mm. as Ultron. I mean, he definitely doesn't get the Thanos, Josh Brolin treatment that we see in Infinity War and Endgame. And, and we've talked about it. It's, it's, it's a total bummer we don't get him in 
we're not going to get him in, in future films because I think it would have been nice to see him maybe return as an adversary to Ant-Man or uh, maybe in a, in a future Captain America film if that ever becomes a possibility. But I still really enjoy watching this. I think it's one of my personal favorites in the MCU. I could show it to just about anybody. I mean, really the only film they have to see before this is the first Avengers film. And I like that it still stands alone. And for that reason, I'm going to call this a would host a viewing party. <laughs> Woohoo! Grab your Thor hammers. <laughs> <laughs> no, forget that. I'm going to bust out my Black Widow costume. Oh, God. <laughs> you do that chris you do that prepare prepare your nightmares <laughs> <laughs> oh night terrors how i haven't missed you <laughs> so there it is folks there is our review of age of ultron oh man i guess now all we have left is to pick the next one on the list Yes, sir. We're going to go to our list of 118 films and ask our random number generator, Major Samantha, to help us pick our next film. And from that list, she has selected, it is number 51. It is a film from 2002 starring David Arquette. It is Eight-Legged Freaks. Oh, God. I totally forgot this film was on the list. <laughs> we're getting a giant spider film yes <laughs> kudos man <laughs> i love giant monster films this is gonna be so awesome <laughs> uh, so that's gonna be our film for next time please watch and enjoy with us and if you enjoyed today's episode please head on over to apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review it really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Force Fed Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time. Force Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Keske and Sean Culp. Artwork design by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.